Good morning again. What a joy it is for me to be with you. We open God's Word. If you haven't already, turn with me in the book of James, chapter 5. You should be already there. And we've entered this last section of the book of James, the final, basically the final 8 to 10 verses of the book of James, as we've gotten to verses 13 through 18. And last week we dealt specifically with the issue of prayer. And we'll continue that thought this morning because verses 13 through 18 all deal with the issue of prayer. Now, one of the most common misconceptions about being a Christian, if you will, is that Christians never go through hard times. For those of you that walk with the Lord for even a little while, you realize how untrue this really is. We saw last week that James assumes the reality of suffering. After all, he says, if you're suffering, pray. Right? He assumes that there will be suffering in the life of the Christian, that Christians will go through hardship and adversity. We see in our world Christians who are suffering for the sheer fact that they are Christians. And that's what James was emphasizing last week, the hardship that Christians face. We also live in a sinful world. And we see the effects of sin all around us, the physical decay of our bodies. We see this in our friends, we see this in ourselves and our loved ones. Our bodies decay, they get sick. We also see the effects of sin from other people. Sin is both indiscriminate and it's intentional in that people sin against us on purpose and by accident, as it were. Evil is around us, and the the world we live in groans, waiting for the final redemption of the saints. It's Romans 8. Now, do Christians always respond to hardship, trials, suffering in the right way? The answer is no. At times, believers, they return sin for sin. They respond poorly with their thoughts and with their actions. Believers don't often turn to God in prayer for the strength and wisdom that the Holy Spirit provides, and they forfeit great peace and great care. When they refuse to go to God's Word for the answers to life's problems, and they substitute worldly wisdom in its place, what it does, it causes this lack of consistency to develop in their lives and their thought life is unable to handle the troubles and afflictions of life itself. You see, Christians can become weary as well. You see, Christians can be batted down by constant opposition and pressure and stress, and it can lead to great hopelessness, despair, and even depression. You can look at your circumstances and and you can think, well, I deserve better. And you can believe that God has forsaken you and maybe He's not as good as what His Word says. And you can even believe that you are alone in your struggles. But we know each one of these is a lie. It's a lie of Satan. But believers, we believe this at times. And yes, 
It has happened throughout history that believers have felt this way. You read of David's psalms. In many of his psalms, he speaks of his, his despair and his loneliness. He's distraught. He's, he's, he's going through extreme pressures, both externally and even internally. And we see in Elijah, as James mentions later on, a, a great example who accomplished great miracles, great things for God, and yet he hid himself in a cave from one woman and her threat of death, depressed and down. You see, God reminded each one of those men, Elijah and David, that they were not alone, that he was with them. But he also reminded both of those men in Scripture that not only was God Himself with them, but they were not alone in that there were fellow believers. One of the things that God points out to Elijah in 1 Kings during his great moment of depression is he says there's still thousands that have not bowed the knee to Baal. There are other true believers. Brethren, if you're struggling with your circumstances, you're struggling with your situation and your, there's hardships in your life, if you feel like you're weary from the battle against sin and temptation, just know that if you're feeling hardship, James has a pathway for you this morning. This section on prayer, James points out that we are not alone in our walk with Jesus Christ. You are not alone in your trials. And James is going to speak to this today in James chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. I've titled this section, The Powerful Prayer Life of the Church. We're going to see that the prayers, we're going to see the prayers of the shepherds, we're going to see the prayers of the saints, and we're going to see the power of prayer this morning. So let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll dig in. James chapter 5, verses 14, we'll start at verse 13, 13 through 18 is one thought. Is there anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he, has been committed, excuse me, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. So first of all, before we really dig in, we're going to deal with the prayers of the shepherds, first of all. But one thing you need to understand is there needs to be some clarification because this passage has been misused over much of church history. The Roman Catholic religion, the Roman Catholic church uses this particular passage for the doctrine of extreme unction. Most of you know this as last rites. You're not come from, if you didn't come from a Catholic background, you can see this in, in many movies. Somebody's coming to the end of their life and they, they call for the Catholic priest. And he administers the sacrament. And he, 
he goes through this and helps the person to confess their sins, and the priest is a means of grace. Now, believers, we don't need a priest. I'm not a priest. I'm a shepherd. I'm a pastor. You have one priest, the great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. He's our advocate before the Father. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. You don't need to go to a priest. There's, there's no special grace that any man can give you. We're saved by grace alone, by God's grace. We receive God's grace directly from Himself. doesn't mean we shouldn't confess our sins, but we don't get a special grace at the end of our lives that all of a sudden wipes everything clean and we're able to go into heaven refreshed or avoid purgatory as the Catholic Church teaches. There's also this passage is used by prosperity gospel preachers to, to emphasize that you can receive universal healing. But even if I was to concede that this passage spoke of physical healing, and I don't, they don't follow the biblical pattern. James doesn't say send money to the elders. Right? He, doesn't say, he doesn't say send me your money and I'll send you some healing. He also noticed that this is a church function. So like I said, even if I was conceived that this was physical healing and it's not, they do not practice what James is telling them to practice as the local church elders. In fact, Peter actually says in 1 Peter 4.19 that therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We suffer. We suffer in this life. And it's times it's God's will for you to suffer. And that's a hard statement to know that God has the, the, the purpose in your life, the, the sickness, that there's a purpose in that sickness. That you would, what? You depend on God, you'd grow in faith, and that He would be glorified. But James, first of all, he deals with the fact, he says, is there any among you sick? So he establishes that there's a dire need in the church. Now, as we've laid out before in verse 13, the the word for suffering has to do with being persecuted for Jesus Christ. It's enduring hardship and affliction. It's oppression. James even uses the same word in verse 10. He says, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets those who suffered for Christ. In verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore be patient. The word patient, if you remember, is long-suffering. The King James translates that very well. Long-suffering with people. And James says, and, and notice, James says, If you're suffering, pray. And then he says, If you're cheerful, sing praises. Notice he moves from an individual activity to a corporate activity, right? Singing praises is both individual and a corporate activity. So he's giving instructions regarding prayer, and he begins with the individual, and now he's moving to the life of the church, the life of all of us in community as the body of Christ. And so there's a dire need. There's a need to the point that this particular individual is not able to pray on their own. He doesn't tell them, if you are sick, pray. He says, 
call for the elders of the church. Now, I don't usually bring out Greek words because, frankly, it's not always helpful. But this particular Greek word here is important because it's asthene. The Greek word used here for sickness can be translated in two ways. And you'll see this in many different commentaries and many different Bible translations. Most of them will say sick. But the word here, the Greek word, can be used, or literally, by the way, it means to be without strength. It means to be incapacitated. It means to be weak. And it's translated 14 times in the Gospels as sickness. And it's translated 14 times in the epistles as weakness. And they mean two very different things. Sickness has to do with physical infirmity, incapacitation based off of physical things. The weakness has to do with spiritual and mental incapacitation. Paul uses it that way in 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He uses it in a spiritual connotation. You see, you have believers that have been worn down by the debilitating effects of the trials in their lives. And we see this throughout James. James James's central thrust is faith in the midst of what? A hard world. Midst of world that that wants to lead you away from your affections to Christ, a, a world that is you're going to undergo persecution and suffering for Christ. And you have believers who are feeling the emotional and spiritual despair over their suffering. They've been battered down. James is talking about those that have been defeated in the spiritual battle. They're exhausted, they're weary, they're depressed, they're dismayed. They're hopeless because of the tremendous sufferings because of Jesus Christ. They've lost the motivation to pray. They're weary of doing good. They say, what's the point? It sounds too easy just to pray and spend time in the Word. That's a cop-out. They've developed sinful attitudes toward their, their, their circumstances. They doubt God's goodness. They feel like they're all alone. But you notice James says, there's help. There's help. And the the first thing is they have to humble themselves. One of the issues for so many of us that we suffer with spiritual weakness is that we're too proud to ask for help. But notice what James says. James says, send for Call for, summon, it's the same word, send for the elders of the church. It takes humility to say, I, I'm struggling, I'm weak, I'm depressed, I'm distressed, and I'm down, and I need help. You see, they need help from the spiritually strong. And James says, call for the elders of the church. Call for the mature. He's not talking about elderly people. He's talking about the leaders of the church. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. When my father passed away, I went through a tough time, a time of great sadness. I, I didn't know how to respond to my grief biblically. I was young, both as an individual and in the faith. But I remember, and I praise God, that my pastor at the time, Pastor Bob Walker, who has since recently passed and gone home to be with the Lord, I remember he was around my home, not just during the time of immediate passing of my dad, but I remember him being around multiple times after that. And I remember him speaking to me and and talking to me and, and pointing me towards God as my comfort. He encouraged me to read Psalm 23, and to this day it still is one of my favorite passages. What do we read about in Psalm 23? The great shepherd comforting his sheep in the valleys of deep darkness. And not only was Pastor Walker's encouragement and his comfort, not only did it give me strength, but it helped me to pray properly and orient my mind and my thoughts towards God and His Word in a time of spiritual weakness. Brethren, James is not talking about physical healing here. He's talking about spiritual weakness. There are many that are sick and hurt in this world that will not see their bodies restored into the glorious return of Jesus Christ. And they may remain that way, not because of sin or because of a lack of faith, but because it is the will of God for their benefit and their good and His glory. Sad to say that so many believers are in anguish because they've been told the lie that if only they had more faith, they would receive physical healing. But those false teachers ignore Scripture and they ignore God's providence, how God works in the circumstances of our lives to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, that is the ultimate good of Romans 8.28 when Paul says God works all things for the good of those who love Him who called according to His purpose. Right? The ultimate good is conformity, is sanctification. We live in a fallen world and we see that fallen nature in the world around us in, in floods and in famines, sickness and cancer, and yes, even COVID. In Romans 8, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Listen to this. For the anxious anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from this slavery to corruption, to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, creation groans and longs for the redemption of the saints. That's why we, we see hurricanes and typhoons and famines and floods. This world is not operating as it was originally created. It's, been, it's fallen into corruption and sin, just like us. So James is speaking about spiritual weakness. And there will be times in your life of great hardship and affliction. And if you're not careful, you can develop sinful attitudes and thoughts. You can look the wrong way 
towards God in your circumstances as you're, you're being af- afflicted and the sinful responses in your thought life can, can cause you to spiral down into fear and depression. Prayer becomes a burden and you need help. And rather than fighting that spiritual battle any longer, you, you, you just spiral down and you're tired and you're weary and you're weak. But brethren, James says there's hope. There's hope in those times of despair and weakness. Reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty eight: 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But James says, what's the hope? What's the help? The help is what? Call to the elders of the church and have them pray over you. When you think about elders, one thing to realize when you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that Christ is the chief shepherd. And he tells elders to, to shepherd the flock. You see, in, in the days of Peter, the chief shepherd would be in charge over thousands of sheep. It's impossible to, to be able to effectively shepherd thousands of sheep. So what they would do is they divide up their flocks into smaller numbers. And they would establish under shepherds in charge of those smaller flocks based, on, based off of, of knowledge and capacity and ability. And that's what we are as elders in the church today. We're under shepherds of the great chief shepherd. We each have different responsibilities, different amounts, number-wise, of flock to be responsible for. And so when you're in need and you're down and you're weak, call for help. Call for your shepherds. And notice it is, it is the elders of the church Right? It's, the Greek is very specific. It's not call on the TV preacher or the internet preacher for help. It's not call on your, your church guy you know down the road. It's the elders of your church. Because you know what? We're responsible. Ultimately, myself and the other elders of, Lake, of New Community Church, we're responsible for you guys. We'll be held accountable for your spiritual welfare tremendous burden, but at the same time, we want to help you all. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, we admonish, we encourage, we help. 2 Timothy 4.2, we preach, we reprove, we rebuke, we exhort. Colossians 1.28 says, our goal is to present every person mature in Christ. And notice, like I said before, it's the elders of the church. It's leadership that is set apart. So when you're tired of the struggles, and you're ready to humble yourself and ask for help, don't be too proud to to say, I need help. And what does the elders are to do? Verse 14, they're to come and they're to pray over him. 
prayer of the weak man, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. There to come, the emphasis here is on prayer, by the way, still. The oil is secondary, and we'll get to that in a moment. But it takes the Holy Spirit working in a believer's heart to convict them of sin, to reorient their minds to the truth, to encourage them, to comfort them. You see, the shepherds go to God on behalf of the person who is weak. And they, they anoint that person with oil. The, the oil is symbolic, by the way. Right? There's no power in the oil. Right? It's symbolic. Think about the Lord's Supper. Right? We, we come to the Lord's Supper and we do it fortnightly here at New Community Church. And we do it, we, we do it in remembrance. We don't believe there's, there's power in the juice, there's power in the bread. It's a memorial, a remembrance of Christ's death and His sacrifice. Without you here is the, the anointing oil was used to, to set someone apart to God for special care. You see that in Psalm 23. He anoints my head with oil, my cup runneth over. It's special comfort. And that's the significance is that it's, it's symbolic. And the elders are to pray over this person and they do this in the name of the Lord as, a, as an under-shepherd. They do it, they pray in the shepherd's name. They want the desires of the, the shepherd to be done, God's will to be done in this person's life. They want to see this person refreshed and encouraged and strengthened. And James says, after the elders have come and, and they pray, in verse 15, it says, The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. And he's talking about the, the prayer of faith is the specific, the specific prayer. It's a petition on the weak's behalf. The elders are seeking the Holy Spirit's work and, and is strengthening this weak believer illuminating their minds, helping them to see the, the depths of their sin and selfishness in their heart, to reorient their life. And he says, to restore. That prayer of faith will restore. The word there is, is sozo in the Greek. The word can be translated to save or to deliver. The idea is, is to deliver their person from their depression, their, their despair. Their defeatedness, to deliver them from their condition through prayer, and to restore them to spiritual wholeness. You know, my wife likes to restore furniture. At least before we had kids, she would do. And she would strip that furniture down. And she would restore it. She would restain it. Make it new. That's the idea. Is that you, through your trials, through your own weakness and your, your own poor responses to life, you become weak. And then the elders come in and they, they counsel you. They help. They, they, they pray with you. And you're restored. You're made new, spiritually whole again. You're encouraged. You help the believer who's weak to see that God is good and He has never changed. That they have, have moved away from God, not the other way around. The elders want the, the spiritually weak person to renew their walk with the Lord with renewed diligence. 
James says, the prayer offered in faith to restore the one who is sick. The word there, sick, is, is a different word, but it's also translated weakness. In Hebrews 12, 3, the only other place in the New Testament where this particular word is used, it is not of a physical illness, it is of spiritual weakness once more. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. From a spiritual weariness. And the Lord will raise him up. Remember, it's the power of God that does the work in the person's heart. The elders don't have any power in themselves. The prayer is what is the channel through which the power of God is poured into the person's life. God's going to raise them up. Literally, it means to awaken them from their, their, their deep slumber spiritually. God's going to restore the joy, restore the enthusiasm that is missing from the life of the battered sheep. Notice it says that God doesn't say God's going to take away the trial. I think one of the things in our own prayer life is we so often ask God, Lord, take away this trial. I want to be done with this trial. And there's nothing wrong with being honest from the Lord, but we need to be willing to accept that his trial is God's will. And ask God, what are you trying to teach me in this trial? What are you teaching me about the depths of my own sin and selfishness and the idols of my heart? What are you trying to teach me about your character and your nature? James says, ask for help. And God, the Lord, will raise the person up. And he even adds, if he's committed sins... Because spiritual defeat is the cause and the result of sin. Sinful thoughts and sinful attitudes of the hearts as we respond to trials rather than responding in, in joy, as James says. And responding, understanding our trials and asking God for wisdom in our trials to, to, be, uh, to better understand them and to better walk with Him in the midst of those trials, as James says in James chapter 1. Rather than that, we, we focus in on ourselves and the world, and the wisdom that this world has to offer. Brethren, there is a pathway back from a seeming, seeming hopeless situation. There is help for those that are spiritually weak, that are burdened, that are depressed. But it, it takes humility, to, first of all, to ask for help. Not only does James say, call for the elders... But he says, there's the church. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You see, there's the prayers of the church. He says, in light of, therefore, in verse 16, in light of his emphasis on personal prayer and prayer involving the elders, prayer is important. And in light of that, in light of the fact that God answers prayers of faith, go and pray with each other. Be involved in each other's lives. He says, confess your sins to one another. Right? It's not, you're not asking for absolution. You're, or there's no priests in here. 
He's talking about being involved in each other's lives. Before you get to the point that you're so spiritually down, you're unable to pray and you have to call for the elders, pray with each other. Confess your sins with each other. Be involved in each other's lives. Don't wait. Don't wait till you're totally discouraged and discontented and you've lost hope and you're spiraling down into depression. Don't wait. You have help. Because we're all, as Alex read, we're all part of the same body. We need each other. Do you realize that God has, in His providence, ordained each one of us to be here at this particular time, in this particular church? He's uniquely gifted, uniquely molded this body so that we are able to effectively minister to each other. Don't be isolated. Inferred in this, if you're confessing your sins and you're praying one another, the idea is that we're involved in each other's lives. It's hard to do that if we don't know each other. It's hard to do that if you're sitting at home watching sermons on the internet. Internet pastors are not your pastor. Internet leaders are not your shepherds. There's no perfect church. We all have preferences. We all wish this church was this way, or if only we did this this way, if only the carpet was red. We all have preferences. But don't allow your preferences to keep you out of fellowship. Don't allow past bad experiences to keep you out of fellowship. How many times I've talked with people, oh, I, I, I just can't go to church. I've been hurt. Really? You mean you've been sinned against? Yeah, yeah. So you, you've never sinned against anyone else? Well... You see, we all sin against each other, right? We all are perpetrators and victims of sin. But we, that's why we're involved in each other's lives. We, we confess our sins to one another. We forgive each other. We're involved in each other's lives. We're not Lone Ranger Christians, for those of you who know that reference. American TV show from the 50s and 60s. I let my kids actually watch it the other day. We're not the Lone Ranger Find a church. If you're not involved, if you're watching today on the internet, you find a church that has a a high view of God, right? A high view of His Word, a high view of the church, and a low view of man. New Community Church, that's that's our goal. We want to, to elevate the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to elevate and and adore His Word. The only way that we would know God, the only way we know His will. We also understand the depths of man's sin and his need for a Savior. Brethren, we, we have to be involved in each other's lives. And it doesn't mean you stand up in front, up here at the pulpit, and you go, well, let me tell you about my, my sins this week. He's talking, about, he's talking about this accountability, right? Find someone that you can be a part of their life and that, that, that you are, can be vulnerable with and that you can confess your sins and you can listen to their sins. And it's not a judgment of, oh, I think I'm better than them or they're better than me. It's a matter of we're two believers walking on the road together. We're pilgrims making progress. 
Proverbs 28, 13, He who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. You know, our natural desires, our natural tendency is to conceal sin, right? That's our natural. That's what we do in our hearts. God wants sin exposed. He wants it dealt with. Find someone. Ideally, you should have three types of relationships in your life in the church. You should have a peer relationship. Someone who is around your age that you can be involved in a friendship level that you can confess daily struggles and encourage one another. You should have someone who is older in your life, right? Older men teaching younger men, older women teaching younger women. Someone older in your life that can bring wisdom. So often we're, we're, we're in our own age and our own peers, we all, we all have groupthink. We think we're right. And here comes along someone who's older and wiser, who's been through so much more experiences and lived longer and walked with the Lord longer, and they bring truth into your life. And you go, oh, I've never thought of it that way. So it should be an older person. The Bible teaches that the, the senior citizens, the seasoned citizens. By the way, if you're a seasoned citizen, God's not through with you yet. You should be involved in the younger people's lives in some way or another. And that third relationship, as you get older, you should be looking to mentor someone who is younger. Just as some older person is pouring into your lives, you should be looking, who can I help influence? Who are some young men or young women in the church? Can I even be involved in the, in the younger children's lives? I can tell you that what a joy it has been in my life to be involved in children's ministry for many years. Watching these kids, you know, as they go from three, four-year-olds to eight, nine-year-olds, and they understand spiritual truth. And see them respond, right? And trust the Lord. And, and when you say God is good, they believe it. Because He is good. Those are the relationships that we should have. So James is calling for you to be involved in the body of Christ. It's a help to you. Don't think that you are alone. That's a lie of Satan, that you are alone in your struggles, in your spiritual weaknesses. But James says, not only should you confess your sins, you should pray for one another. Because this is an important aspect of church life. That's why we do the prayer list, by the way. And why I emphasize on Sunday mornings that if you, if you can't be with people over the week, you can pray for people. The idea is, is in our home groups. We have a time of sharing. A time of sharing is so that we know what's going on with people. And we know that, look, these are some praises and we can, we can praise God. Praises, by the way, is publicly thanking God. We can, we can publicly thank God for His goodness. And then we know that, hey, I need to be praying for these people in my community group, in my home group. And these are the things that, that they have burdened by or burdened by. It's sharing, being vulnerable, not allowing us to, to bottom out in our spiritual lives, to encourage one another, to comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those 
who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see that chain, right? God comforts us. We are being comforted, and as God has comforted us and is comforting us, both past and present, what do we do? We comfort others with the same comforts. God reminds us of His character and His nature, right? And His care. And when people are going through their afflictions, and we've experienced God's mercy and His grace, we can share that with each other. We can pray for one another, remind one another. You realize that's a big reason we do communion fortnightly? How quickly we forget as Christians. We're, getting, we're digging into the book of, of Judges. How quickly did the children of that best generation forget all the wonderful things that God had done throughout the book of Joshua? How quickly we forget. So James is talking about church life. So the antidote, the spiritual weakness and discouragement comes from within the body of Jesus Christ, the church. Real Christian friendships include honesty, confessions of sins, and continual prayer. Superficial relationships are hardly worthwhile and offer no accountability, encouragement to your life. I had a friend of mine when I first got to seminary, he said, and it was a great, a great advice. He said, let me give you an advice. He was getting ready to graduate. He said, let me tell you this. If you try to get to know everybody, you'll get to know nobody. And his point was, is you can have superficial relationships with 100 people, or you can have real deep, meaningful relationships with 6 or 8 or 10. Relationships that really matter. Brethren, we need accountability. We need encouragement. We need to be reminded because we're naturally selfish in our thinking. We're naturally self-justifying. You realize that? We, we, were, we will self-justify anything. You need somebody in your life, somebody who's a peer and somebody who's older that can, that can tell you to pull your head in when you're being a tall poppy, right? Bring you down and say, look, you need to humble yourself. You got sin in your life. Your attitude is poor. So not only do we see that James wants us to call for the shepherds in the church, he wants us to be involved and call for the sheep of the church. So it's the prayer of the shepherds, the prayer of the sheep, and now he deals in verses 17 through 18 the power of prayer. Because he wants you to, to understand that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer, the word there is, is has to do with energy, right? It's a continual, persistent prayer. The, the, the prayer of a person, it's, a, it's working, it's persistent. The prayer is effective because it's continual, that it's in the Holy, Holy Spirit's power. And it can accomplish much. He's talking about petitionary prayer, praying for somebody. What can be more excellent than prayer? What is more profitable to our life and more sweeter to our souls? What is more sublime in the course of our whole life than the practice of prayer? Augustine. Men may spurn our appeals 
reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Thomas Watson, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. The effective prayer, the continual working prayer of a righteous man, woman, can accomplish much. And then James gives an example of Elijah. And he says, Elijah, in verse 17, was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on earth for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the sky poured forth rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, the thing about Elijah in those days is Elijah had been exaggerated in the Jewish circles to the point where it was almost a superhuman level. And that everything Elijah did was perfect. But we know, and this was James's point, is that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was like us. First Kings 17, he was hungry. First Kings 19.3, he was afraid of Jezebel and her threat to kill him. And in First Kings 19, basically the whole chapter, he, he, he devolves into depression. Woe is me, O Lord. I appreciate the fact that Scripture tells us and gives us a picture of believers and how they really were. Right? Abraham from, from Genesis 12 is very different from Abraham in Genesis 15 and, and even Abraham in Genesis 17. Just ask Sarah, his wife, after she tried to give him away twice. At the end of his life, he was a much more mature, godly man than he was at the beginning who, who lacked trust in God. And even you think about Elijah, he'd just come off a great spiritual victory. Mount Carmel. You know the story in which he, he defeated 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. You see, Elijah experienced the power of God over all these idols and all these prophets, and yet he feared the word of one woman. You see, we can have our ups and downs just like Elijah can have his ups and downs. They were real people with real struggles. Brethren, Elijah is just like us. And what did he do? He earnestly prayed. Now, one thing you need to understand here is that Elijah's prayer was in accordance with God's will. He believed God's word. In fact, for those of you that aren't in the Tuesday night home group, who maybe not have had a chance to go through this as much as we have, Deuteronomy 28 now, it shall be, and this is Moses talking to the generation of Israelites, their parents and their, their, uh, their elders had died in the wilderness, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And Moses says, now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments, which I have commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Then in verse 12, the Lord will open for you His good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand and you shall not lend to many but nations but you sorry you shall lend to many nations but not borrow 
And then we see in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes, which I charge you today, then all these curses will come upon you. In verses 23 and 24, the Lord will make the rain of your land powder and the dust and heaven and from heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed and the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them but you will flee seven ways before them and you will be an example of terror to all the kings of the earth. So if there was no rain in Israel, it is a spiritual issue. And so Elijah prayed in accordance with the will of God. He believed God's word that said, if the people of Israel turn to idols, that there will be no rain. And he prayed in accordance with God's will. And there was no rain on the earth for three and a half years. God honored that prayer because it's a prayer in faith in accordance to His will. Remember when I was young, I, I was 16, and I was praying for a brand new Ford Mustang. <laughs> Let's just say I didn't get that. You know why we often don't receive what we ask for in prayer? James says it in chapter 4. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Brethren, prayer has power. We also have to pray in accordance with God's will. We pray God will go to great lengths to sanctify us. And He will use trials in our life to sanctify us. And when we're praying, there's nothing wrong with praying for God to heal someone from a sickness. But we also have to acknowledge in that prayer, Lord, if it be Your will then we understand and we can accept that. And that we know that if it be your will, it's for a purpose. And that purpose is good. And it's to their benefit. And it's to your glory. We don't want to be like the presumptuous businessmen in James chapter 4 who say, I'm going to do this and that without actually praying about it and seeking God's will. But when we pray things according to God's will, God hears that and our prayer has power. You see, Elijah believed and God honored. Brethren, I don't know where you are right now. Each of you individually knows that when it comes to your walk with the Lord. If you're weak, if you've been battered down by sin, battered down by the, the temptations of this world, by your trials individually, just know that there is help. If you're unable to pray and you reach that point, know that the elders of the church were here for you. Reach out to us. We care. We'll be there to offer counsel and help. In prayer. If you're struggling and you're not to that point, know that you have the body of Christ. We are not made to go through this life alone. Don't think that you can be the Lone Ranger. You can be the only one out there fighting for the Lord. You have help. Confess your sins to one another. Be involved in each other's lives. Hold each other accountable. Encourage each other. Comfort each other. 
admonish each other with great patience and pray with one another. Bring your cares before the Lord, knowing that He cares for you. James says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It's fitting for James as we wind down this book. We have one more one more message, one more section. But as we wind down this book, it's fitting that James has been emphasizing trials and endurance. And he comes now to the life of the church. Most of James's book is involved or directed towards us individually with aspects of how that influences the corporate believers. But this last focus is church-focused. Brethren, there is hope. Don't do it by yourself. Trust in the Lord and reach out to others. Right? How, what peace we often forfeit, right? When we don't go to the Lord in prayer. I would say what peace we often forfeit when we, when we try to go it alone without the other parts of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, oh Lord, we see that there's help. Father, I don't know the, each and every heart here and how they're doing, but you do. Lord, we know, oh Holy Spirit, that you search out the hearts of men and women and you can show us and you show us our sin, you show us the depths of our weakness. Father, I pray for those to hear that are, that are spiritually down and spiritually weak or that you would encourage them. You would comfort them. Lord, if they're unable to pray because of just poor responses to trials and they become weak and depressed and despairing, I pray that they would reach out to us, the under shepherds of the church, so that we may counsel, we may help them. They may be restored to spiritual wholeness. Pray for those that are going through tough times that they would know that they don't have to go through it alone. They not only have you, but they have each and every one of us here in the body of Christ. I pray that we'd be honest and, and open with others, that we would seek out peers to share our life with, that we would seek out those that are older to help speak truth in our lives, and that we would be willing to hear that wisdom. Father, I pray that you would use us for your glory. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.